in addition to having the blessing of being tapped to uh, provide this chapter-by-chapter commentary on the book of Genesis for my dear friend David Knight of Exposit the Word, I also am blessed uh, to host my own podcast, which is called Jesus Changes Everything. And on one of my recent uh, episodes of my podcast, I, I talked about how uh, the Bible is just so full of so many wonderful mysteries. Now, some of those mysteries you might call theological mysteries. We know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and yet uh, the moment we think we've got our mind wrapped around that truth is the moment we have to confess uh, to heresy. Uh, we know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three persons, but one in essence. And again, as with the incarnation, if we think we've mastered the essence of the Trinity, then we're doing something terribly wrong. But there are other kinds of mysteries, things that we're not told about uh, that are just sort of hidden from us. I mean, who wouldn't want to know more about the early life of Jesus. We get a few, very few little tidbits, little uh, episodes from his life. Uh, and then, but, but basically we jump from his birth to uh, his public ministry. Uh, I, at Christmas time, I'm always just fascinated with these uh, wise men and trying to figure out how did they learn what they learned? How did they know what they knew? Uh, what they figured out about the coming of the Messiah is not something we have that we can see even by sort of reverse engineering the question when we have the whole of the Bible. So what were they looking at? What were they thinking about? What were they listening to? Well, today, as we consider Genesis chapter 14, we run into uh, another one of those instances because we meet this man, Melchizedek. And I know I... Uh, hinted around about him earlier, but we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking today uh, about him. But before we do, we need to set the stage uh, for how Melchizedek came onto the stage. If you remember in the account, what's happened is there's been a battle uh, among the enemies, uh, the, um, among the nations where uh, Abraham lives. And these kings rose up against these other kings and they went to war against each other and things didn't go well for the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and they lost the battle and uh, these other kings sort of swoop down and, 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 and take possession of the wealth and the people from that region, including all the wealth of Lot and Lot himself. Now, remember last time we were together and talking about uh, the wealth of Lot, that God had prospered him, that his connection with Abram uh, you know, lent toward that great prosperity. Uh, but now he finds himself a prisoner of war and all of his uh, sheep and his goats and all of his cattle are in the hands of the victors. And Abram comes to his rescue. Not by himself. In case you're wondering just how wealthy Abraham was, uh, he's able to muster an army consisting of over 300 men from his own household. 
These are his servants and the sons of his servants. These are the people who are under his authority. And with those 300 and some odd men, Abraham chases down the victors of the battle and goes to war, divides up the, uh, the, the, those numbers, goes to war and uh, defeats those who had won the battle against, remember this, don't, don't lose sight of these numbers, Abram and his 318 men were able to defeat the army that defeated five kings. It's pretty much an amazing accomplishment. And so now Abram is uh, headed home. Lot is rescued. Uh, everybody's excited and happy. And, and the wealth of not just Lot, but all that had been taken by uh, these previously victorious kings are, is his. And boom. He runs into Melchizedek. Who in the world is this guy, Melchizedek? And the thing about uh, his appearance here in Genesis chapter 14 is not only are we given no insight whatsoever about his background, we're also given no hint or no clue as to his significance in the future particularly as it relates to the book of Hebrews and its exposition of the greatness of Christ and his superiority uh, of his priesthood over the priesthood of the Levites. None of that's in the text. He's just there. Where in the world did this guy come from? And the thing is, like the wise men in the story at Christmas time, he's there and he knows stuff that we don't know how he knows them. He is called the priest of God Most High. Well, what kind of priest? Oh, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, if he's Melchizedek, then there wasn't an order of Melchizedek before him. He just shows up on the scene. He's already a priest, one who intercedes for God's people before God, one who uh, leads in worship, one who brings sacrifices before the living God. And there has been no law of Moses, no exposition on uh, what God wants in terms of sacrifices or the meaning of what those sacrifices are. And yet not only is Melchizedek doing this, but Abram recognizes him for what he is. It's not like Abram runs into Melchizedek. He says, hey, who are you? Melchizedek says, well, I'm, I'm the priest of God most high. And then Abram says, well, I guess I must owe you a tithe. Abram knew. But how? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible is less interested in telling us where Melchizedek came from, what his background was, and much more interested in telling us about who he is. Now, you need to understand something about how, uh, over the centuries, Jews have looked at uh, interpreting Scripture. Uh, it was a very common thing to take the position that if something isn't mentioned it didn't happen. It's one of the reasons why so many people uh, uh, postulate that before the flood of Noah, uh, the earth was not watered through the falling of rain because rain is never mentioned 
prior to the flood of Noah. So that, that idea is if it's not mentioned, it doesn't happen. And because of that, many look at Melchizedek and say, look, his parents are not mentioned. Therefore, he had none. Hmm. Well, what else does the text tell us about this Melchizedek uh, son of Nun? Not the same Nun that was the father of Joshua, but Melchizedek, whose parents are unmentioned. Well, we know that this, we know that in the Hebrew, Melchizedek, from which we get the name Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And the text also tells us that he is the king of of Salem. Now, most people, as far as I know, maybe everybody affirms that this language of uh, Melchizedek being the king of Salem uh, is actually talking about uh, the city and the surrounding regions around Jerusalem. That is Jerusalem where Melchizedek serves as king. But here's what that means. You may know just enough Hebrew to know that the word shalom, by which Hebrews through the centuries have uh, given greetings, saying hello, saying goodbye, it all comes with shalom. Well, it's Jerusalem. It's the city of peace. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. He is the king of, of peace, and he has no known parents. And he is the priest of God Most High. Remind you of anybody? It is not at all uncommon for scholars to speculate and even to affirm that what we have in Abram's encounter uh, with Melchizedek is what we call in theology a Christophany. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of of Christ. Christ is the word for Christ. Fani, like uh, in the word manifest, uh, fat, you know, that, that's what's going on. It is a appearance of the second person of the Trinity prior to the second person of the Trinity's incarnation. Now, I am not going to put myself in the position where I have to try to prove the truthfulness of that position. I don't know if it's true or not. I do know that uh, it's possible that it's true. I also know it's possible that it's not true. So again, I'm not going to take a side on that particular issue. I just think it's interesting uh, that he is introduced the way that he is introduced, that we meet him, and uh, he, he certainly, at the very least, uh, is a type of Christ. Uh, being the first in the line uh, and, and perhaps one of two uh, in the uh, Melchizedekian priesthood. Well, there's something else that's important about this encounter. You remember uh, what happens when they come together is that Abraham uh, pays his tithe to this priest of God most high. He gives 10% of what he had taken. He gave, uh, here's how the text says it. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. 
So he pays his tithe. Let me go up a little higher. He pays his tithe. Then uh, the king of Sodom begins to try to negotiate with him. And Abram doesn't negotiate from the perspective perspective of, hey, you know, you're the one who lost in the battle. Uh, I'm the one who rescued you. You don't get diddly. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, I'm not taking anything from you. But again, before that, uh, when they meet in verse 18, we read, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek brings bread and wine. Remind you of anything? We may not only have a pre-incarnate manifestation or appearance of God the Son, we may also have a pre-Last Supper uh, picture of the Last Supper. It's bread and it's wine. And friends, when you're reading through the scriptures and you see things like this, don't be afraid. Be careful, but don't be afraid to say, hmm, bread and wine together in the same context. Bread and wine, the context of a priest. Bread and wine, the context of a giving of an offering. Bread and wine. Maybe there's a connection here. This is not a mistake. This is how God writes. And it's how he wrote this book of Genesis. Now, Let's fast forward quickly. I hope I won't step on the toes of whoever David has tapped to do the book of Hebrews. But let's fast forward to that book. And I want you to understand the nature of part of the problem uh, that the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to answer. And it's simply this. In theology, we speak often of what we call the munis triplex, M-U-N-I-S new word t-r-i-p-l-e-x the munis triplex which means the threefold office as it applies to christ the christ serves for us as a prophet as a priest and as a king well how are we to understand this when after the ascension of david to the throne uh all the kings are supposed to come from uh the 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 line of David, and yet that's not the priestly line, but it's the kingly line, and yet Jesus is going to be a priest and a king. He can't be a Levite and a a Judahite at the same time. So how can one person be both of these things? Well, that's part of what, again, the author of Hebrews is trying to answer. He's saying Jesus is king. He is from the line of David, but he is also a priest. A different priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's not a part of the Levitical priesthood, but he is a priest. But there's more that is argued by the author of Hebrews. He says, look, you need to understand that there is this other order of priesthood, the Melchizedekian order, and it is superior to the Levitical order. Well, in what way is it superior? Well, speaking of mysteries, the Bible doesn't tell us. It does, however, prove the superiority 
of the Melchizedekian priesthood over against the Levitical priesthood. Here's how the author of Hebrews argues. He argues, here's Abram. He is the father of the children of Israel. He's going to beget Isaac, who's going to have uh, Jacob, who's going to have all of these sons, including uh, each one that represents one of these tribes of Israel, including the Levites. He's going to have a son named Levi. Well, because Abram gives this tithe in this text in Genesis 14, because Abram gives this tithe to the priest Melchizedek, Abram is affirming the superiority of Melchizedek over him. And the author of Hebrews goes on to argue, rightly so, that because Melchizedek is superior to Abram, and because Abram is superior to Levi, therefore Melchizedek is superior to Levi. That follows QED. If, if A is more than B and B is more than C, uh, then A is more than C. Got to be so. No way around it. But that greatness... Well, how do I put this? What I want you to get is that what, what the author's saying is that the Levites are less than because they're less than Abram, who is less than Melchizedek. And so that priesthood is a superior priesthood to the Levitical priesthood. Now, I want you to think about the beauty and the glory of God's writing. It is, a, again, a fascinating thing, an interesting thing that God doesn't take the time to tell us any background on Melchizedek. But it's also interesting to note, is it not, that this is kind of dropped in here almost like an Easter egg in a movie. You know what an Easter egg in a movie is? An Easter egg in a movie is when uh, the movie maker sort of uh, tips his hat toward the audience or winks at the audience. Uh, things like this. Uh, if you look really closely uh, at the hieroglyphics of this ancient uh, temple that Indiana Jones is uh, entering into in one of the Indiana Jones movies, you can see etched into uh, the stone uh, a picture of R2-D2 and C-3PO. That's an Easter egg. Well, Melchizedek is like an Easter egg. He's dropped in here. His story is told. And then it's pulled right back out uh, there in Hebrews chapter 7 to answer another great mystery. Doesn't it tell you something about the unity of the scripture? There's a unity between this order of Melchizedek and this order of Levi. There's a unity between the Levi, or excuse me, Abram and all of God's people afterwards. Abram again was promised that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so he blesses Melchizedek and he is a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And Melchizedek, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, is a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. And it's all there, all hinted at, all hidden and wrapped up in Genesis 14. Who would have thought? You know, you're reading along, you're thinking, you know, a battle story here, this king and that king and these unpronounceable names. And right in the middle of that, God says, so Abram met Melchizedek and this is what happened. And then just as quickly as he stopped to tell us that, he moves on 
to Genesis 15, which we will do next time.